Welcome to Inside IR, a podcast series by Herbert Smith Freehills that explores the latest developments in the Australian industrial relations landscape. Hello and welcome to Inside IR, the Australian industrial relations podcast, the series that arms HR, IR and legal professionals with the latest industrial relations thinking. My name is Rowan Doyle. I'm a partner in the industrial relations practice at Herbert Smith Freehills. And I'm very pleased to be joined on our 16th of, uh, episode of Inside IR today by my colleagues, Natalie Gasper and Hi. Tony Wood. Rowan, I think we're a bit crazy today. I'm, I'm, I think we're just about to burst into laughter for some reason, <laughs> but we've it's got to be serious because okay. we're covering some serious topics today. Yeah. <laughs> we are, we are. But look, great to have you both back, uh, seasoned veterans on the Inside IR podcast. Uh, but it's our festive season edition. It it's our last episode for 2023, and, and what a big year it's been in <laughs> industrial relations. I mean, possibly yeah. the biggest that I can recall and um, quite an intense year. I think many HRIR practitioners are going to be needing a bit of a break over the and summer period. And their advisors. <laughs> fingers crossed. We'll see. But uh, how have you found the year, Tony? Any highlights from you? I, I'm, I just never cease to be amazed, Rowan, that things change. Mm. Everything changes all the time. And... 35 years ago, maybe more, when I started doing this, things were changing and it just keeps on happening every time. It does. But you know what? You saying that actually made me, I was having reminiscing throughout the course of this year back to the sort of, you know, unionised industrial up at the commission, quite a bit of bargaining, more industrial action of the world that we're in 10 years ago. So yeah, things are changing, but I do think it's a little bit back to where we used to be. Back when we to the went, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're changing. I'm not, the pendulum swings, right? And yeah. it goes backwards and forwards. But we are, I mean, we, we made, gosh, this was an intention today's session to go back and talk <laughs> about some of the amazing changes that have happened. But the change to the act that we affected when we, when we relied on the corporation's power oh, yeah. and, and moved away from stupid old interstate industrial disputes and all of that stupid jurisprudence that associated that, I mean, we can sweep that inefficiency away. We've got a, a framework which is much mm. easier to work within. We do over-engineer it, and it's way too complicated, and no doubt Still. some of the stuff you'll be mm. talking about shortly will Lots prove Lots of that great way. new inefficiency being built into the system, <laughs> yes. which we will cover today. It's an excellent segue. <laughs> Good for lawyers, unfortunately. <laughs> we're, not, we've not had some right. robust debate about what to cover on today's yeah. episode because there is so much, mm. and what we're going to do is, is deal with it in two parts. The first part... Nat, you're going to take us through yeah. the developments in the closing loopholes Our bill or bills. Festive season gift yes. from the government. Very big one. And then in the second half, Tony, you're going to take us through your IR predictions for 2024. Gaze not, into the... not just my predictions. I've surveyed 100 people. Uh, from within <laughs> from within our group nationally. And so we've consolidated that. So I'll get some really interesting ideas about that. Disregarded those views and then just simply conveyed <laughs> your own, as you often do. But I've, I've <laughs> massaged it a little bit, and it does seem to accord with my views, but it nevertheless does reflect the feedback. That oh, I'm only kidding, Tony. No, we're looking forward to that part of the session. Um, but without further ado, Nat, where are we yeah. at on closing loopholes? Oh. Take us through it. Well, look, all those emails that I sent to people saying, look, um, you know, there's, there's a little bit of time, but not much time to get your house in order. I am absolutely eating humble pie and retracting that because on the 7th of December, we saw something that I don't think anyone was anticipating. And um, the government struck a deal with 
some of the independents and the Greens to actually pass um, some aspects of the closing loopholes legislation. And so as, as we stand today, we're filming this on the 12th of December. It hasn't received royal assent, but it is absolutely imminent any moment now. Um, so there are also some amendments that were made in the House of Representatives, and I'll, I'll talk through what they are. But as it stands today, the law um, that has been now passed and gone through both houses deal with some really important aspects of the legislation. And um, on those, same job, same pay, and there have been some amendments to those aspects which I'll talk through. Workplace delegates' rights other than for regulated workers, so non-employee type workers, has been um, passed and is now law as to have the aspects of the legislation dealing with criminalisation of wage theft and underpayment of superannuation, um, as to a number of other things, including um, federal criminal offence for uh, industrial manslaughter and the like. So there is actually quite a lot that has gone through. Yeah. Encourage listeners to have a look on our website. Um, so we, um, along with the team, our national team, have actually put together a summary of the changes that have been made and that are now law. But I just wanted to talk in particular about a couple of the amendments, late amendments that were made to um, the same jump, same pay legislation. So for those of you that have missed the preceding 15 episodes where we've sort of spoken about this, just a, a reminder, the same job, same pay legislation is designed to do what it says on the package, right? So two people doing the same job get paid the same and the way the laws seek to do that is by imposing obligations on employers of labour hire businesses who provide their services to a host. So some of the amendments that have been made to that, um, there was a lot of debate about who those orders actually apply to, who, mm -hmm. the potential scope of that legislation. And the previous iteration of the legislation um, had as a factor, but um, not an exception, that service contractors would be excluded. That has now changed. And so um, if you are providing a service, the intention is that you are not covered by these new laws. It's become a hard exclusion a rather hard than exclusion, a factor to right? be considered. Yeah. But, I mean, reasonable minds may differ as to when you are actually providing a service as opposed to when you're actually providing labour. Mm. And so, um, you know, some of the remaining frustration is that there, yes, those amendments have been made, which provide some degree of clarity, but there is still some ambiguity and some potential scope for, you know, who's actually in and who's out of the scope of those orders. And there's a bit of, uh, without wanting to get into the politics on this, th there are different lobby groups that were pushing for different positions of this. And I think a few people got blindsided by, the deal that Jackie Lambie and mm. um, uh, the rugby guy um, came, so, yeah, sorry, <laughs> Senator, um, came up with at the last minute. So it 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 kind of surprised a bit of pe a yeah. number of people, and there's still, but but I think the bottom line, as you suggest, Nat, is we don't yet know what that service kind of exclusion yeah. is going to lead to. So yeah. it's there's an element of uncertainty. Well, but we do know what the broad thrust of the laws are going to be. And, and most clients will understand that they're probably going to be in the middle of the bell curve somewhere. Well, there's there. still also a fair and reasonableness exception. Good so employers yeah. and hosts can argue that it's not fair and reasonable yeah. to apply the higher protected rate of pay to these workers. Now, yeah. that's even more uncertain because there's a bunch of factors yeah. to take into account. 
uh, when is an employer going to be successful in availing themselves of that defence and when not. A lot of work to be done there, which we'll come back to. But Nat, I think there were some further amendments that you were going to Yeah, mention. I think the other one that's worthy of mention is that the orders can potentially include multiple employers who are providing um, uh, employers of, of businesses who are providing labour to the ultimate host. And mm. so that is an avenue, again, consistent with the legislation that we've already got in, which enables unions to really sort of collectivise and mobilise. And um, I think that that is a really important amendment that businesses who are relying on labour or providing labour need to really consider. Unions can potentially cast a wide net with their application. Yep. Mm. Um, so there were some other amendments that were made actually in the House of Representatives. Um, now, these are aspects of the legislation which have not yet passed um, and still remain subject to the initial timetable as up for the debate um, following the report of the Senate Committee in February and there will be debate in, um, in Parliament in relation to those aspects. So the bits of the legislation which now form part of Closing Loopholes version 2.0 are um, intractable bargaining declarations and I'll, I'll there's some interesting proposed amendments to that, which I think um, mm. are really important for people to have on their radar. Amendments um, in relation to casual still remains open for debate. The definition of employee versus independent contractor still remains uh, available for debate. The residual workplace delegates rights for regulated workers, so non-employee yep. workers, um, as do the proposed changes that regulate minimum um, uh, standards with respect to digital uh, economy participants, so those in the, the gig economy and also road transport. So I just wanted to touch on one um, proposed aspect that I think is really interesting and, and I think businesses need to consider this now um, as part of their industrial strategy. And there's proposed changes to the intractable bargaining declaration, which seek to limit the Commission's arbitral power um, to only arbitrate terms that are more favourable than under the underlying enterprise agreement unless there's agreement to the contrary. So that is um, a really important change because in my experience, often the reason that bargaining has become intractable is because the existing arrangements in place in the interim or, or sorry, out of date, enterprise agreement that apply are no longer fit for purpose mm. and the business needs to move on, its um, operating environment has changed or it needs more flexibility in the way it operates, shifts or whatever it is. And so those sorts of changes to those terms and conditions will be beyond the scope of the Commission's powers. It's You've hit the nail on the head, Nat. I, I'm really concerned about this change. It was yeah. a last-minute surprise change that yep. was proposed by the Greens and acceded to by the government, fortunately hasn't passed, as you've said. It's, yeah. it's one of these changes that remains for debate. But what it does, essentially, means that if you can't get a deal done and you move into intractable bargaining arbitration, it's really only the union and employee claims that can be advanced. Yeah, it's a total disincentive to the parties actually getting together to, tr to reach an agreement. Because why would I reach an agreement? I've got nothing to lose by pushing it through um, to arbitration. Well, that's my concern, Tony, because I think, I mean, it maybe it's the Greens and the government that have watched our earlier episodes yeah. of Inside yeah. IR where we've spoken about this very thing. But the, the benefit of the new intractable bargaining powers 
were that they resolved some of the concerns that we had in the removal of various other mechanisms from the legislation that moderated bargaining conduct. Mm. For example, the removal of the capacity to terminate EAs and the like. That was manageable because we had an exit valve. The exit valve was, well, if you're really in this intractable yep. bargaining, you can't do a deal, there's some really important changes the employer needs to pursue for very objectively, uh, objectively justifiable reasons, mm. then you could kick it into the commission at the end of the process and have the independent umpire determine well, what should these terms and conditions be? It can be less than the current agreement. Yep. It can be more. It can be different. The independent umpire was unconstrained yeah. and it could form a sensible view. Now, why is that such a bad thing? Why are they now proposed to be constrained so that they can't go below the terms of the existing agreement? There seems mm. to be to be no real good justification for that, um, which is going to cause some problems at the bargaining table, as you say, Tony. I mean, why... Yep. You can never go backwards. And what yep. it will do is really entrench the employer's negotiation, negotiation position as well because yeah. are you going to really make that concession yeah. and put that term in your agreement yeah. Yeah. knowing yeah. that it's there for eternity? Yeah. And I think as well, I think it's really going to re-emphasise the importance of having um, measures in place in the business to have industrial action contingencies and, and mm. all these sorts of things. Because the reality is if you can't reach an agreement, what other leverage is there in negotiations? You have to hold out, which means probably going to have to withstand a fair degree of um, you know industrial action. And my reflection from the year, I've seen a much greater preparedness not only to apply for the PARBO, but to actually take protective industrial action. I think that's the difference, and I'll be interested to see the stats from the commission when they become available, but um, I'd love to have a private conversation with most of the members, that many of the members, maybe most of the members <laughs> of the commission, who will feel this constrains their ability mm. to arbitrate or to conciliate yeah. a resolution, um, and certainly to arbitrate. And a lot of these changes, you know, even ones we're not talking about today, are designed to give the commission a lot more authority and power in the processes of bargaining and many aspects of what we call industrial relations. This limits their capacity to do it. I don't think they'll be pleased with that because mm. it doesn't give them the leverage that they need to get people to reach an agreement. To reach an agreement. Commission members don't want to arbitrate. No, and at the end of the day, bargaining's about reaching an agreement that makes sense for that employer and its employees at that particular workplace. You, you yeah, need please. tools, both sides need tools to impose pressure on the other to moderate their negotiation mm. position and bring them together. Mm. I mean, that's that's negotiation, right? The problem is, with this change, there are essentially no tools on the employer side except for industrial action. Yep. And to your point, Nat, this is going to push employers increasingly into the position where they're going to be adopting much more robust strategies for proactive industrial action, i.e. lockouts. And, and that's a real issue. And how, uh, you know, again, you know, horses for courses and really important to rethink the bargaining strategy mm. in light of these proposed changes. You know, there's still room for debate as to whether they pass, but I, I think it's a really critical, really critical amendment. Great update there, Nat. There, any other changes? Oh, look, gonna... just the other thing is um, some proposed changes in relation to casuals. Um, so some clarification, I think, that there's not one factor that it will be determinative as to who a casual employee and um, indeed a fixed pattern of work of itself is not necessarily a determinative factor. What matters is, is there an ongoing commitment to 
to, to work, quite frankly. So, look, there's a whole range of various amendments. I've, you know, we've just skated through a lot of them. A lot of them are quite technical, but I really do encourage listeners and those watching to have a close look um, at our website where we've got some really detailed um, information as to the, the changes that have already made, been made to the laws that have now passed and those that will be further debated. Yeah, thanks, Nat. Google closing loopholes and HSF, and that will pop up. And I think also just by way of priority, do go back and have a look at our Inside IR episodes on same job, same pay, on uh, criminalisation of intentional wage and superannuation theft, and on Tony's episode, the New Workplace Delegate Rights, because they'll give you some good insights as to what you need to be doing now to prepare for those provisions which are commencing imminently. Yep. And, and Ryan, maybe just one point, Nat, to, to finish off on same job, same pay, because I, I think it's, well, here in a minute, it's, it's going to be a big issue for next year. But those applications can effectively yep. commence immediately, yep. right? Yes. And yep. well, at least well, an application once, once can. Yeah. But yes. the, so the, any day now, the Commission's orders can't apply until what is the 1st of November in 2024. Yep. But we're likely to see... Well, we know a lot of our clients are preparing for this already in anticipation yeah. of receiving applications. And if you're in that industry where you still have, you know, a, a contingent labour workforce, you sh if you're not looking at preparing for that, you need to be looking carefully at it now. Mm. But unions may well launch surprise applications very early in the new year. Yeah, uh, I don't think it'll be a surprise. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe not surprise, yes. <laughs> Which is a nice segue, Tony, because I think that might feature in one of your top five. Uh, can we look into your crystal ball now and get your top five industrial relations issues for 2024? Well, not mine. And you also had input into this, Rowan, so don't complain. It's all me I taking control here. Yeah. We, did, um, we did actually uh, talk to all of our national team, our senior lawyers, partners, senior associate special counsel uh, throughout all of our offices in Australia. So we consolidated the ideas. And interestingly, maybe not surprisingly, there was a lot of of agreement about what they saw, what our people see as the main issues. The first one, it's a bit of a yawn and boring, but really important. And it's the continuation of the emphasis on underpayments, uh, the role of the Fair Work Ombudsman, uh, employers addressing um, uh, wage non-compliance mm. issues, uh, NES non-compliance, coupled with the introduction in the reforms of the new criminalisation of wage theft um, and those laws and as well. Yeah. And we are working, interestingly, with a variety of clients as, uh, already who are worried about where they've identified underpayments to the extent that there is an overlap um, with, with those, uh, those wage theft laws. Now, there are, of course, um, well, there is, of course, a, 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 what I call a due diligence um, defence under those laws, which means that if employers are taking active, robust steps to investigate and address uh, issues of non-compliance, that in itself is probably the most material step that an employer can take. But highlight question, a point I can make here is uh, wage theft slash underpayments slash uh, role of the Fair Work Ombudsman is seen by our team and by me, for what it's worth, as probably likely to dominate the issues for the number one issue for employers to face next mm. year. Won't surprise you, though, uh, that the second issue of the five that we identified is, in fact, same job, same pay. Uh, we've already discussed the implications and seriousness of it. I think, interestingly, amongst our team, we act for a lot of clients, not just the top end of town, big resource rich um, 
businesses, but a lot of medium-sized employers, many of whom have got contingent workforces. And sometimes they use them for peak periods, understandably, yep. uh, but otherwise they've had for some long periods of time, often a supplementary workforce, and that's an advantage for them in a range of ways. Yes, sometimes it's actually cheaper than their EA-covered workforce, but to be honest, it also provides other advantages um, to scale up and scale down their business, and also as a defensive mechanism if there is protected industrial action. The whole purpose of the legislation is going to be designed to encourage greater permanence of employment, yep and job security, um, you know, tick for Albo because he said he was going to do that. Um, and secondly, also it's going to enhance pay, which is again, again the, the second objective. Yep. So we can't be surprised by this, but the implication is that it's going to be a big deal. And we mentioned these applications going to be made. I think we'll see quite a large number of them uh, over the course, you know, even before this prov these provisions or orders can take effect on the 1st of November. Anyone disagree with that? I do not disagree. Agree wholeheartedly. The third one, uh, it's a bit of a grab bag um, of issues, and I'm just going to call it IR back in town. Yeah. Um, because we've seen with um, only not only this tranche of reforms, but uh, you know the, the government's previous um, reforms, um, that there is a gr much greater empowerment of unions generally. We know it's going to be harder to reach agreement. We just discussed with respect to um, intractable bargaining yeah. that there's a, a, a less incentive for parties to reach agreement. And we know that also is going to occur with respect to the powers of unions, which are enhanced in, in relation to all areas, whether it's boot tests or the mentioned issue of uh, workplace delegates. You know, greater authority and power of unions, even in minority uh, non-union, effectively almost non-union workplaces, to have a formal role within mm. a business and to advocate on behalf of members or non-members in the business. There's going to be a lot of, in my view, a lot of disputes arising over those issues and the creation of uh, the corollary uh, jurisdiction okay. in relation to general protections. I, I did it. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, the general protections regime being expanded to deal with those kind of disputes. Yeah. I, I, I think, and our team also sees those kind of broader powers of unions, um, the, the greater uh, role of the Fair Work Commission as being a dominant feature in 2024. Yeah. And bargaining's tough. Like, bargaining's tough out there at the moment. Already. Times We're already tough, saying this. Right? Yeah, I, it, I mean, employees want, want money to pay their energy bills and you yeah. know, fuel yeah. and all those sorts of things, and employers are feeling that pinch as well. So it really feels it's tough. It's tough to get a deal. And it's been a tough. I mean, it's been a tough year for everyone, but yeah. a tough year for workers. And because of that, it's kind of a, an opportune time for these reforms to be made, because they are designed to increase wages. And, yeah. and job security. So it kind of fits in neatly. So the government's had a really good run and good timing to be able to make these reforms. We'll see what the impact yeah. is in due course. 
Number four, um, is it's not really an IR issue, but it is an issue that's going to affect every workplace. And we now know actually from this week in December 2023, that there is a positive duty on employers to take steps to address workplace sexual harassment. So we could talk for hours about Kate Jenkins' Respect at Work report. We know um, that the Human Rights Commission has just recently uh, provided some really good um, uh, information available for clients about how they things that they can and should be doing. But we do know that reliance on post-conduct uh, steps to address uh, bad behaviour is not enough. That's enough. We have to take steps now to understand, is there a red flag within our business? Yep. Are we monitoring areas where there are uh, maybe a disparity between male and female workers? Um, areas where people maybe uh, not be English speaking, all those risk yep. areas that are identified in the Respect at Work report. So employers and what we are seeing is boards are taking an active role, often leading the C-suite to say, we need to have these issues addressed and we want to make sure that you, we can be comforted mm. as boards with obligations under these new laws to say that we're doing the right thing. So I think we're seeing, yep. and, and, and there's a confluence with that, if you like, also with the, with the emphasis on psychosocial Psycho -social health. I mean, how many yeah. times have we heard that terminology this year when a few years ago, no one, knew, no one had ever heard of it? We might have talked a little bit about psychological safety, for instance, but this psychosocial health issue is a huge it's issue. Huge. And yep. we're seeing prosecutions from agencies, yep. uh, the WorkSafe uh, agencies, one in Victoria, uh, where an employer, following an employee's suicide, there's a lot of emphasis of it. And with, with you know, the, the new obligation on um, po the positive duty, yeah. it's having a, a great impact already. And we're seeing that with yeah. our clients who are dealing with yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Should, should just call out the great work that both of you have been doing in that space. I mean, we've had some wonderful roundtables this year yeah. where our clients have shared the practical things that they're doing in yes. order to help comply with the positive duty because it's not, not easy on its face to work out what it is that you do beyond the usual just training and policies, et cetera, which, as we all know, is insufficient. So yeah. uh, just really great work um, from Thanks. both of you yeah. this year in still leading your way. And I, I get, we get it can be hard for businesses. It can seem like quite an amorphous concept, mm. right, this positive mm. duty, but there's so much we can learn from the traditional work health and safety space about looking out where are the risks, do that risk assessment, use mm. their sort of traditional safety language and do what you can reasonably and practically to remove that risk. And so I've got to start somewhere, you know, I've got to take off my um, Christmas props. I think the nickel, I think <laughs> I the cheap nickel is <laughs> causing irritation. Let's He's keep chatting about industrial why do you do that? Your wardrobe malfunction. <laughs> um, let me let me deal with that. Five time. the nice segue into number five, and it really does follow on from what we've just been talking about. And already in the last year or two, we're seeing a much greater responsiveness from employers, again driven often by boards and certainly senior leadership, to conduct what I might broadly describe as cultural reviews yeah. or effectiveness reviews, and. You know, you talk about what steps you can take in respect of addressing your, your obligation in relation to workplace um, uh, sexual harassment. Well, 
if you are seeing red flags, as a lot of clients are in certain areas and pockets, what they what 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 do you do? You can't investigate necessarily misconduct mm. because you don't have a specific allegation. You know, we don't know that you did something inappropriate, but we do know that there's a high rate of rate of attrition, yeah. or there's a, a, you know a large number of grievances being uh, being put in. Yeah. Exactly, low engagement yeah, scores. Yeah. So what we are seeing in this respect already in the last 12, 18 months, and no doubt will continue that employers are coming to us and saying, we need to get a greater dive into the detail. Yeah. And there's already a lot of consultants out there who are doing this work, and we use a, a number that we're very happy to recommend and work with, often through doing uh, legally privileged reviews so sure. that the employee can look at the result, we can advise them in respect of where the risks are and the opportunities to address you know, potential problems before they you know, catch mm, fire. Mm. So it's a big area and it it's likely to expand. Yeah. And also I think those sorts of measures are important for businesses to do because, you know, as we say, we're talking about empowered unions, empowered delegates. And, you know, if you've got a grievance as an employer where you want that to go is to yeah. you as the employer so that it's you can amazing. fix it and so that mm. you can deal with it or hopefully that those issues don't arise in the, the first place. So there's all sorts of reasons and a quick plug for our Future of Work report, actually, which I also commend to listeners, which is a global report. So mm. all that shows that these sorts of areas in terms of well-being and, and the psychosocial safety and, you know, is this a good place to work is absolutely on the minds of employers as they ought to be over the coming period. So, yeah. And, and we know, sorry, just on that same point, uh, we know that employers that get an increase in whistleblower complaints mm. Uh, and, and we see much greater asset guidance on, on those also over the last year. Um, that's not a bad thing necessarily. It means that there's greater transparency yeah. and greater preparedness for people to put up their hands. And I'd rather be having a whistleblower complaint than reading about it in page three of the financial yeah. review. And so it's, it's employers are trying to move towards creating that environment where it's easier yeah. for people to say, up. I've got a problem. Yep. A safe workplace where they, yeah, yep. exactly. I forgot one um, other proposed. So, so the Greens are still agitating for a right to switch off, and I do hope right to disconnect. From <laughs> work. To right yep. to disconnect. So I do hope that both of you two have had an incredible year. So thank you. It's terrific being your um, partner and working with you, and also for those people listening. But we've got a special. Um, the fans have spoken, Rowan, and we've got some merch. Organised. Oh, we got merch. We got merch. Awesome. This is now, concerning and no, unscripted. This wasn't, it, absolutely, none of our stuff is scripted. Viewers, so Rowan hates not having a script. So, <laughs> so I, I need you to zoom right in on this, and you need to do you need to do that. And for those listening, what I'm showing you is an inside IR T-shirt, Australia's leading industrial relations podcast. Now. The transfer didn't quite go as planned, but you know, we we Did you can get it make from the same place as the earrings, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> we'll work on that for twenty twenty four. So I hope when you switch off and you're down the coast with your I'll family, wear that down the beach. can you wear that Thank down you, the Nat. beach? Thank you, Tony. No. Well done. Likewise, well played this year. And um that's I mean it's a great top five from Tony. Really comprehensive. Agree with them all. What do you think? Has Tony missed any on the top five? If you've got any feedback, email anthony.wood at hsf.com. <laughs> yeah, look forward to your email, particularly over the January period. I'll be at um, the beach. But yeah. otherwise, look, thank you for all our listeners tuning into Inside IR on this episode, but also for the duration of 2023. We've had an extraordinary response uh, and just a, a huge, huge numbers, more than we could ever, ever anticipate. So thank you all. We'll be yeah. back 
in 2024 with much more content, probably a bigger year in IR in 2024 to come. Yep. So watch this it. space and we look forward to seeing you all in 2024.